Hello there and cordial greetings back to the Run Your Mouth podcast. Do you guys enjoy the new intro song? I hired some new staff. I told you we were going to switch up the intro. So I got us some new music, something that I thought would really get this thing going, get everyone in the mood. So I hope you guys enjoyed that new intro song and the new staff that I hired with these uh, good sponsor dollars that are coming in. Who are our sponsors? We got Sheath Underwear. Use promo code RYM. You get 20% off. And you can wear super comfortable underwear. Also, RYM coffee. We're all drinking coffee. We're all pounding coffee all day. So you might as well pick it up from Run Your Mouth Coffee. Just go to their website. Use promo code FIRE. You get 10% off. And then, of course, if the sheath underwear and the coffee doesn't make you feel good, you can go to Yo Crane and get a whole kilo for 60 bucks. So thank you to our sponsors for allowing me to get some more staff behind the scene to uh, upgrade the professionalism of what we're trying to put together here and being able to rock those uh, awesome intro songs in our effort to change up the intro and, you know, just change things up. Uh, I got a lot of really great guests coming on today. We're going to talk about uh, some medical stuff, some big financial topics. But before we get into it, I got some pressing issues I'd like to discuss first. I'd like to know how you people keep your your, your plungers clean. I like I, I but my toilet's not working that well. I think I've been stuffing it up with a few too many whites. Also, I'm getting fatter, so I'm putting bigger turds in there. I've had to be using the plunger a little bit more. And I'd like to know because once you put the plunger in the toilet, there's really nothing other that you can clean it with other than the toilet water. And then the toilet water ends up getting out of your toilet. If you got one bedroom apartment, you're kind of losing the batter against your toilet for not trying to get like that thing to expand elsewhere, especially you end up with like too much on the floor. Then you step in it and then you got like old shaggy rug, which I've described on the podcast before that's super absorbent. So I'd like to know here's, here's become my system. I'll spray it down with, um, with like bleach while it's still in the toilet and then kind of rinse in the toilet water. But then you still got toilet water on your plunger. If there's ever been a product in the world that should be disposable or just something that you can flush, I don't know how you invent that. Someone's got to invent the plunger that like, maybe it's like an inflatable plunger and then like you pop it and you flush it down like a used condom down your toilet. I don't really know. I'm not an inventor, but seriously, I'm here. I'm looking for insights and information. So email me, robsnewsroom at gmail.com. And let me know if uh, you're also a fat guy who's stuffing up his toilet and needs to frequently use a plunger. How are you keeping your plunger clean? What are you doing to keep the plunger clean and toilet water within the toilet? Robsnewsroom at gmail.com. And while you're sending me an email, um, also rate, review, subscribe. Do those things. I think they help out the show. And uh, sometimes when I'm lonely, I'll read those descriptions. So, you know, go to iTunes and uh, give me a five-star review. Say some nice things and, uh, you know, help me grow the show. On that note, the uh, the weather is getting nicer. You know, it, it you never realize how much like the the bad weather was kind of messing with you until the nice. Like I've been riding my bike through the whole winter, and every time I've been on this bike, I'm like, why is riding my bike so hard? Like it's not a big deal. Just ride your. And then all of a sudden, it's nice outside. You're like, I love riding my bike. And you're like, oh yeah, it was just winter. I was just out here in fucking freezing feet, of course. Uh, but the one thing that kind of sucks about when it starts going summer is you can't wear those sweatshirts anymore. And dude, I got to drop a couple pounds. I, I My newest weight loss goal is I just have to go from a C cup to a B cup. The problem is I've been doing pushups all winter, but I haven't been eating healthy. So now if anything, I just have, I got a really nice rack. It's like, it's propped up. It's got, it's got good firm. Like if I'm telling you, if I chase, if I, if I were to shave this chest hair and like put on a pushup raw, I would have a better rack than most of the women I've hooked up with. So I got to change the situation. If you're out there and you've got some Adderall, uh, maybe we could do like a, um, a run your mouth pre-summer getaway. Whoever wants to get in on this, that's got the Adderall. That's all you need for an invite. We'll go, I don't know. We'll go get like a, a cabin in the woods. 
we'll we'll snort Adderall if you're a lady, and I, I guess I'll have sex with you. If you're a dude, we can jerk off in separate rooms because if you're not eating and you're taking that Adderall, you're, you're going to get what I call the jerky hand, which is when you're walking around super anxious. And so the only thing you can do is I don't need to get this gross. Everyone's got their system for weight loss. Uh, and I'm just saying we're coming into summer, hoping to, I'm, I'm hoping a porch tour with the shirt on. I'm not Burke Kreischer, but I'm still I'm going to be getting out there, going to be leaving the apartment. And I got to I got to take off the sweatshirts. So it's time to get serious about my health and snort Adderall so I can lose 10 pounds. <laughs> because, of course, that's how you categorize getting uh, serious about your health. The other thing I'm excited about uh, and we're starting to line up some summer porch tour dates. I hope to be back by uh, Max. I hope to be back by uh even though I haven't heard from him a bit, but hopefully we'll be back by Tom in Philly. I think I've got a private residence. We're going to do a gig in Boston. Some dude with a super mansion hit me up about going to Florida. Might do that. Going to be doing uh, um, Austin. You guys should uh, hit me up for that. Childerberg. That's going to be an absolute blast. I'm going to be out there with Kyle Ruff. Might even go out to Oregon and Denver for some uh, Liberty events. And then, of course, you got Porkfest. I'm starting to line up the summer gigs which makes me think I got to start snorting some Adderall so I can lose a little tit meat. You know, that's uh, that's what I'm trying to do. And then also like on summer porch store, everyone's going to be offering sandwiches and I don't want to have to be like, dude, I'm too fat to eat your sandwiches. No one wants to hear that from me. All right. So now let's get into the news a little bit. Um, I think the biggest news story this past week uh, was Oprah. Oprah sat down with the uh, prince and princess. And the first thing she said at the top of this interview was that these people are here for no money whatsoever. And why the fuck would you do that? If you're going to sit down and tell scandalous tales that aren't even scandalous, the biggest scandal of this thing was which princess made the other princess cry. That was the most, I couldn't even watch this thing. It was an hour of like, oh, I'm going to break. Like, if you're going to break some news, tell me about, uh, you know, that the, that the queen is snorting crack and she likes it up her, up her, up her pooper. And that really, I, I, I don't even know. I, I maybe I should have wrote something before and for how the queen is spending her time. Maybe like, if you're going to tell me that she's racist, like, you know, these are people that spend hours decorating and deciding on dress colors. The fact that there was a conversation about, you know, the shade of a baby, maybe they were just trying to, like, make sure that everything was matching. They wanted to know the baby, like, what, what color for the room. These are people that spend hours when it comes to putting together an event. Like, you're going to tell me that the queen is racist. I want to hear some fucking racist shit out of this queen. Like, and but if you're going to sell a family, take the money. Why would you do that for free? And it, like Oprah likes to sit there like she's the nicest lady. Um, it, it's not like she's giving out free therapy. It's not like she's sitting down with poor people to try and help them through their problems. It's like she sits there like she's the queen of niceness where and we're, we're going to settle the score here. We're finally going to break the scandalous reason for why these people left their family. Oh, and it's that that uh, they claimed that she made me cry, but I really I made her cry. I don't know how anyone could care about this thing. Apparently got 17 million watchers and i wonder if it's like that old if you guys ever saw private parts and uh they say that they were saying that some people were watching howard stern because they hated him and they just couldn't understand why he was on the air i wonder how many people were like me that they're like okay why are other people interested in this and then watched it for longer just to try and figure out like who would give a shit about this all right. The other thing is um, $1.9 trillion. That's the newest stimulus bill. And I think behind closed doors, the real contest between these presidents is who can spend the most money. Like Bush came in, you know, a couple of years back and he was like, listen, I'm going to spend more money than any president ever. The only way to do that is I got to start a war. So he started the war in Iraq and Iraq. Then Obama came along and he's like, no, I'm going to spend even more money than that guy. 
but to get extra bonus brownie points, like I'm really going to take home this club trophy. I'm going to do this thing without a war. I'm going to like quietly just bomb people. And there's probably going to be some expenses on that, but I'm going to get some entitlement programs going. I'm really going to do stuff. And then Trump, he spends more than anybody. And not only does he spend more than anyone, he promises us a wall. He doesn't even build a wall. I don't even know how he spent as much money as he did. Like how did that guy seem somehow manage to pop to, to spend more than what, Bush did in a war, what Obama did, I guess, getting us health care or whatever. And then Trump comes along and he spends even more. And then Biden goes, listen, I don't have that much time in this game. I'm only a couple months away from death. I better start raking up some really big bills right now so that I can get that trophy in this secret, you know, club that these guys are in to see who can spend the most money. And then they've even worn me down. I'm one of the fucking nerds that actually read through the other couple. And I mean, not the whole thing. I read through at least the news stories on it to see what the hell they were trying to put it past us. And it, it, it's kind of a joke that, you know, first they were talking about the one-time stimulus deal for the coronavirus and like, holy shit, that's a massive amount of money. And then they did a second one and it was kind of like, pretending like it was going to be, the, you know, the one time only that we're going to have to spend the massive amount of money. And then Biden comes to one point. And it's, by the way, it's just going to be the stopgap. Just wait till uh, the country needs to pay for four masks when we realize that two masks isn't quite doing it. And now we got to stock up on even more supplies to make sure that, you know, everyone's got three, four, five, six masks. And now in terms of trying to figure out what's going on next with the coronavirus, do we get these vaccines? Because I'm starting to think, I got to be honest, I'm kind of starting to think about it, starting to line up these summer porch tour dates. I got to get out of this apartment, uh, shed 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 one cup of tit meat. Uh, and mo- mostly the people I know that have gotten the vaccine, no one's dick has fallen off yet. I was convinced people were going to take it. Their dicks were going to fall off. I'd be able to put up a big sign on the highway that says, I still have a penis. Here's my address. Come over. I'm going to have equal distribution of this dick. Everyone can get some. There's a couple inches to go around. I've got a stockpile of blue chews. We can line them up. I'll, I'll impregnate whoever I can. I'm going to try and do my part to make sure that humanity can continue, even though everyone else's dick has fallen off. Um, that plan, it hasn't happened yet. Now, I, I don't. I didn't have the perfect science on how long it was going to take between people getting vaccinated and their dicks falling off. Um, I'm not a scientist, and I, I'm limited in terms of my research capacity to figure those kind of things out. But it, 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 it's going to happen soon enough. Um, so I brought back fan favorite, Ryan, Dr. Krim, who's going to actually give us the medical take on uh, the current situation. But before I turn it over to Dr. Krim, let's get a quick plug in here for Run Your Mouth Coffee, promo code RYM, no, promo code FIRE. You're going to get a 10% off. Load yourself up on uh, some good coffee, help support free speech stuff like this. They're running a movement, a Run Your Mouth movement, getting dollars to people like me so that they can say dumb shit like that your dick will fall off if you take vaccines. And now let's get some actual information on the vaccines from Dr. Krim. All right, so we got the official run your mouth doctor with us. I'm a little disappointed you cleaned up a little bit. Like, I mean, you still, you're like, you're like junior uh, mountain man. Before that beard was like, winter himself <laughs> yeah yeah well you know the, the, you gotta you gotta please the wife every once in a while okay I, yeah well you i mean that beard looked like it probably took a couple of years to grow out to that distance so i'm surprised the fight didn't come up earlier uh no man i can do i can no i don't have any problem growing hair <laughs> any suggestion for me you know i would have thought the compensation for going bald is that you'd be at least able to grow a decent beard. And I'm like, I'm patchy. I'm like at the point where I'm giving another week or I got to pull it down again. You could always try minoxidil. 
Minoxy, can you actually try that on uh, for your face? That's not a bad idea. You can try it. You can take there's you can take the pill version too. No, I'm that. definitely not doing that. The <laughs> uh, the keeps uh, whatever they call it. That shit will ruin your dick. Yeah, you can. <laughs> I uh, I mean I've been losing my hair since I had hair, <laughs> and uh, I remember early on to losing my hair. Someone uh, recommended the. Uh, it wasn't originally Finestride. Finestride was the hack for getting the subscription for a lot cheaper because you could cut up the Finesteride and it was the same thing as what was what did they use to sell it as? It had a name. I forget though. Rogaine? No, Rogaine is the minoxidil, You're but then right, there was yeah. the pill, which was I forget. The finasteride? Yeah, it was so basically that, finasteride. So so a lot of those medicines they use for like prostate issues and stuff. Um but like Rogaine is does have some, and it depends a lot. A lot of hair loss is genetic, and sometimes it's just it's just your luck, man. <laughs> so I remember though. I mean, this is just me being a nervous person. So I was prescribed the finasteride. Right. Another comic told me, "Hey, you got to be careful with that. It might ruin your boners." And so I kept jerking off to check. And the more you jerk off, the more you don't have boners. And so I was just getting too nervous that it was because of the finasteride. I had to stop taking it, and now I'm just totally bald. <laughs> <laughs> hey man it works for you you're beautiful robbie I thanks love you. man that's yeah. what i you know what we can call it there that's all i needed right. uh so the first question i got for you and then uh maybe we can get into some of the unintended consequences of uh, the lockdowns because now they're actually starting to see some of the reports in terms of uh the way addictions have actually risen some of the overdoses that are up and so we're actually starting to see some of the consequences from this bad decision which was the lockdowns uh, and l- we'll have that conversation in a minute, but I'm really curious to know, cause as I see, as I have friends and family and more people getting the vaccines and so far, no one's dicks fallen off. Nobody's died, or at least not that I know of. So I'm curious if, um, what your current, because it, interestingly enough, the last time we had you on, I thought we were talking about the vaccine, but actually what Trump took was not the vaccine. It was kind of the, different medications right. for if you were sick that could help heal you up. So that was actually different than the vaccines. Correct. Um, so I'm curious to know if now you're giving it to patients that are requesting it, if you're advising it, or what's your general take? So in terms of the vaccine, I mean, so, you know, let's come at it from a libertarian standpoint. And I know uh, Reason Magazine is verboten, but a couple of years ago they did a whole article on Reason on on the on vaccines and whether you know what the, what the libertarian uh, philosophy should be on that. And the one that stuck to me, um, I think it was I forget who wrote it, but anyway. So like, if the idea is let's look at it from the non-aggression principle. Like if you can do something that could potentially not only protect you, but also protect the people that are around you, right? It's sort of akin to like if I had a loaded gun and I was walking down the street and firing it off or just walking down the street swinging my fist randomly, right? So that's the idea of getting a virus that you could spread that could possibly kill someone. So you could take a look at it like the idea of not getting the vaccine is a violation of the non-aggression principle. But then the arguments against it are like, okay, well, it's your body, your choice, those types of things. So, you know, balancing that out and, and you know, me as a physician, you know, I hear all sides of it and I, I am very open. And I, I, I think, I think as, 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 as libertarians, the big thing we don't want to do is say, you have to take this vaccine or else you can't do X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. So I'm not down with that. You know, the idea is in terms of the vaccines, you know, do I think they're they're effective? Yes. Do I think they're harmful? Most likely not. Um, 
do do we know how long they're going to last? We really don't know, and that's the big issue with it. And then there's a couple other issues with it. So, like, they're so not- let's harp on. Let, let, let's just shell for a moment the whole libertarian forced vax, not vax, right, legal yeah. argument. Let's just shell that for a second. You're a doctor, sure. so we want the medical expertise. So, in your estimation, you think that there's very little harm in terms of taking these. So it sounds like your personal recommendation would be it seems like there might be a benefit for a period of time and there's not a ton of harm. So it might not be a bad idea for you to get yourself vaxxed. I, I think so. Yeah. OK. And so of the current vaccines that are available, um, let's just start with Pfizer, Moderna, because those are kind of the the newer the newer release or those are the releases that have at least been out for a little bit. So you can probably speak to the technology a little bit more than I am than I can. But I think that they rely on something that, from what I understand, is not your traditional definition of a vaccine. To me, a vaccine is like you give me a small amount of polio, I get the antibodies. Now I now I can defeat polio. This right. seems to be the mRNA or the NR whatever it is, which like uh, is working with your proteins to teach them how to defend it. But it sounds like maybe the vaccine title isn't appropriate, and this is a new technology. But I'll let you maybe you would actually know this is like information scattered information. I picked up from the news. Sure. Yeah. So the mRNA vaccines are, are relatively new technology. And certainly the, these are the first vaccines sort of mass produced that have this technology with it. And basically they have a spike protein. So it's a, it's a protein that our body identifies as a pathogen and it, it creates um, T lymphocytes and B lymphocytes. So the T cells are your memory cells. Um, they recognize this as foreign. They generate an antibody response, which is some of the reason when we get when we generate an antibody res- response, sometimes you can have symptoms following that, like the fever, the aches, and the chills, which is, you know, you'll see with some patients who get those vaccines. But the goal is is that now you'll have memory cells that if you get it, does it alter your DNA? No, that's not how mRNA works. It's not. It can't go in and alter your cells' DNA. Is there technology that can do that? There is, you know, they're working on things, but those are for more like genetic diseases where we're going in and trying to alternate your cellular DNA. These are not doing that. These are specifically trying to generate um, T cells and B cells to prevent that. So the people like me that right. at, we're, we're basically saying, I'm not touching this vaccine. Uh, and then there were the scattered rumors that it was alternating your DNA. Right. We're just, we're just being a bunch of idiots. Yeah, I, well, yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah, I don't think it's, it, can, it can alter your DNA. It just doesn't work that way. It's they, okay. It, it would need a lot more things to it. So I, I got two more follow-up questions for you. These sure. are going to be maybe slightly more challenging. Yeah. When we last talked, uh, I think even you were a little bit reluctant to, and we were talking about those other technologies, which I was mistakenly categorizing as being a vaccine, but I, I seem to remember that you were saying, it's a little bit shady how quickly they were able to get these launched and that it didn't quite have the trials that you would normally see. Um, but it sounds like your perspective has kind of changed on that. Well, it depends. So like with the vaccines, like there, there is some question. And when they were voting for the approval of the vaccines, there was some dissension on the board. And these are not people who are what I would say on our side, quote unquote. Um, but some of the dissension was based on like, uh, pediatric patients. So they lowered the age to age 16, but there's really no trial data on kids under the age of 18. So some of the dissensions were for, for that. And then some of the other dissensions is 
on on what we do with uh, uh, pregnant women, right? Because there's no data on that really. So the American College of Gynecology is recommending it, but we really don't have any. It doesn't mean it's going to do anything bad, but but we just don't have the the, the data. So okay, and then just to ask one more, um, I guess additional, slightly more challenging question. I think part of the reason people, there were two reasons that people like myself said, Hey, I'm not touching this thing. The first is a little bit shady how quickly they pushed it through. It seems like there was a lack of long-term studies. So I think people like such as myself were like, you know what, let me let other people guinea pig this thing. Um, so you know what, let's pause there for one second in terms of the lack of long-term studies is there still something that could affect people that have gotten this in a year from now that we wouldn't have seen in the first two months? Or are we now at a point where so many people have gotten in this that we can kind of say, well, at a minimum, it's definitely not harmful. So in terms of, in terms of the vaccine you're asking, like, is yeah, something that could, so is there a possibility of that? Yeah. Like there, there's also like, um, so, you know, I was doing some research this on the reasons why not to get why, why, why not to do it? Um, and and there, there are still questions out there. So so probably like we we there is a potential that we don't have enough phase three data. So going back into let's go back to 1976, there was a concern about the swine flu, and this interestingly enough I found on CNN. So certainly not something. But so they were actually making an argument against the against vaccines. And the thought was like back then there was this concern that there was this swine flu coming and they pushed this vaccine through. And one of the side effects of the vaccine was it caused Guillain-Barre, which is a uh, neuromuscular disorder that can be caused uh, predominantly by viruses. But this vaccine happened to cause it. So they pushed this vaccine and then there were side effects. So is there a potential for, for side effects? Yes, there is. But, um, you know, you're never going to have anything that's zero risk, whether in life, whether in medicine or anything. So some of it is based on what your baseline is as to as to whether or not the decision for you to vaccinate is, is the right decision for you. Like I'm not a promoter of forced vaccines, um, but let's I go with the best recommendations. So risk first reward. I mean, like if you were to throw a number on the risk percentage that we do we do discover two or three months from now that there is some sort of a, um, you know, unintended consequence or there is some, uh, wait, what's the word usually? The, the what do they usually say when they're like doing the commercials for drugs and they tell you all like the bad shit that Side might happen? Side effects. Yeah, that, that's the word I was looking for. Thank you. Yeah. Um, what, so I, I'm, I'm, it's kind of a two-part question. Are there... I, I might think like, hey, if we didn't see the side effects within the first two months, then the risk of seeing side effects drops like tremendously, or maybe that's not true. Maybe the side effects wouldn't start if they do exist, don't start actually showing up for seven or eight months. So in your estimation, what do you think the risk is at this point that we might actually see some some side effects that you know didn't come up in the studies because this thing wasn't that widespread studied? So I guarantee that there will probably be some unknown consequences from it. The, but the likelihood of them being catastrophic to the point where um, you're for people who are really high risk of getting COVID, um, I, I think they're probably not going to be to that level. So like for you, you're a healthy young man, you know, um, you getting COVID, you'd probably do just fine. Um, but you know, the, 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 the people that are higher risk, like the elderly or with underlying conditions, 
you know, I, I would say that the vaccine, the balance of the getting the vaccine is probably weighted to getting it. My concern with not getting vaccinated now is uh, I'm hoping to do some summer gigs and some summer right. traveling. And uh, I guess my concern is getting the coronavirus while I'm out somewhere. And then all of a sudden you got to figure out how to quarantine when you don't like, if you don't live in Texas, how that, like, what do you got to do? You got to try and convince someone to give you their Airbnb. And now you're stuck in Texas for two weeks until right. you get a negative result. I don't really know how people handle that. So that's kind of why I'm starting to consider it. But now it's funny because even, even you're, it sounds to me like even you're somewhat shifting the recommendation where if you're otherwise healthy, there might be side effects down the road. So you do want to consider that, you know, the, the upward, uh, benefit of getting the vaccine might not out, out actually outweigh the risk that there could be some side effects coming. Uh, well, let's, uh, I'll walk that back. No, I, I think, I think in general, like, so, so the idea I would have is I think the, the populations that I, I am not a hundred percent on are, are, are like in children because we don't have any data and then on, on, on pregnancy. So, that that's an area of controversy. Um, but like you getting the vaccine, me getting the vaccine, people who are healthy, it, it, you're, you're going to be okay. All right. I guarantee, I guarantee that something will come up though, that there's going to be some kind of side effect, but the likelihood that it's going to be worse than the disease or cause more problems in disease is probably pretty minimal. All right. And then next question is there've been scattered cases and really scattered cases of people getting this and dying. There was one incident of a doctor right. in Florida. There was a case today of um, a healthy um, mother. I, I forget where it was. I want to say it was in New York. It was a New York Post article. So I don't know if it was in New York. Uh, but I have seen it to my eye, the treatment of the spontaneous individuals that have died from this have been like, oh, it's one case. Don't even look at that. Whereas when it came to the coronavirus, if there was a single death, it was like, look at how horrible this thing is. We need to shut down the country. Um, do you think that those are just totally freak occurrences and maybe those people were going to die within 24 hours independent of the vaccine, or there's just no way to even kind of put any thought behind that? It's a big country. A lot of people are getting the shots. Yeah, I, I think it's a big country. A lot of people are getting the shots. That being said, they need to look at the cases and get to the bottom of it. You know, like, is, is there something going on that we don't know about? All right. And now the newest one is um, uh, there was the Pfizer and Moderna, which were the big ones, at least in uh, in this country. I think the other one was that's not as big in this country is the AstraZeneca. I believe that was the name of it. Um, and the benefit of the AstraZeneca is a um, little bit cheaper, but also not quite as effective. It was more in the 70 percent range, whereas the Pfizer and Moderna are being reported as higher. Now, the newest one is the Johnson & Johnson. It comes with the benefit of it doesn't need the same refrigeration and you only need one shot. Right. Um, I've also heard that the Johnson & Johnson is not the new RNA tech. It's actually more of a traditional vaccine. But yeah. um, I'll hand that back to you if maybe you can tell us a little bit of the difference. Yeah, so the, the Johnson & Johnson is a vaccine that's, that's categorized. It's called a viral vector. And the way that works is it's a modified version of a different virus that our cells recognize that it has the enough of the protein that it would correspond to producing the T cells and B cells to attack the COVID-19 virus. But it is, it's a modified version of a COVID-19 protein. So if you're nervous about the potential risk of side effects, um, to, in your estimation, is the Johnson & Johnson uh, any of 
any less risky that if you're nervous about side effects, you might go, Hey, I'd rather have this than the RNA stuff. Or there's really no reason to like even have that thought. Well, like, I think, I think, hold on. Ah, dog's going crazy. Um, so like for me personally, like I, I am probably going to get the Johnson and Johnson one when it comes out one, I'm not high risk. I, I think it's reasonable that that's a way to go. I think if I was a high risk and had a lot of underlying issues, I might be more willing to get the mRNA vaccines. Um, but but I think the Johnson & Johnson, for me, seems to be a logical choice. All right, I'm going to go Johnson & Johnson. You let me know when you get them in stock. I'll do the drive down there. We'll summer porch store, eat some brisket. You can... Uh, Sounds good. I can get, maybe get some blood work done. I don't, Dude, I haven't actually seen a doctor in years, so we, we can do the whole thing. Uh, hey, man, I'll do everything but the rectal exam on you. <laughs> uh, that's what I was hoping for. Uh, well, get my I, temperature I have... checked, the whole thing. <laughs> We'll, we'll get you squared away. And nice. You're, you're always welcome, man. Hell yeah. I'm, I'm going to make that journey this summer. Uh, before before I let you go, so you were saying it's horrible, and we mentioned it, but some of the numbers are starting to come out in terms of the unintended consequences of the lockdowns and some of the um, – I actually saw uh, – I went to see my dentist the other week, and he was telling me he's been treating people like – clenching their teeth and just like shattering teeth and he's saying the amount of anxiety and depression he's seeing of people coming into his practice that he needs to treat um and i was almost surprised to hear that people are still in lockdown mode because i've i've just evolved past that i'm mostly i mean i I, i'm a hermit i mostly stay home except for when i'm out doing podcasts but i'm lucky even podcasting is you know not face-to-face interaction but i do get to talk to interesting people and have these conversations, which I find meaningful and I'm doing some open mics. I was surprised to hear that people are also like when I have friends in him, I go hang out with them. I was very surprised to hear that some people are still treating this as like a category 11 threat. Like that's blowing my mind that anyone's still living that life whatsoever. Um, but you're actually seeing patients and I guess seeing more of the unattended consequences. So maybe you can fill us in on, I guess, what you're seeing and just how much of a mistake it's been. Yeah, I mean, I can go case by sorry, shutting the door so the dogs don't bother us. Um, so yeah, um, I mean, I can go case by case. I mean, from from uh, families who have a loved one in a nursing home and haven't seen him for eleven months, and then they see him on the day they're dying, and it, it rips them apart. Um, to like just the stress and tearing families apart, like a lot of this. Like, I, I think what we're missing is, is grace. Like, you know, I have friends that are on all sides of this, you know, like no masking, I'm not wearing it no matter what, or I'm, ne- I'm never taking this damn thing off. Um, but like the ability for us to get together and have a conversation, I think is what's important and, and not, not like othering or, you know, calling them idiots and, and it, I've seen like families torn apart. I've seen the other thing is like the failure rate in children. Like there are so many kids that are just suffering with this. I mean, the amount of kids failing school um, through this has increased dramatically. Then they hate it. Like just I'll say personally, like my kids hate it. Like just hate the fact that they can't hang out with their friends. And, and um, it just it has to change or we just can't continue like this or, or you're just going to see increased, you know, suicides. I mean, increased alcohol, increased heroin overdoses. It's just awful. And I think just to speak to some of the things you're talking about, one is uh, sometimes I think about 
I guess the values in society versus some of the values that I grew up like grew up with. The best example of that is I kind of grew up with a, you know, don't be a tattletale and don't complain. And now a lot of what's almost cherished in society is people tattling on other people and who can be the biggest victim. That's just not the, that's not the culture I was raised in. And I don't think it values people. Another one, which you're describing is like we grew up, I mean, tell us the Jewish story, it was be a mensch, but there is like just a common courtesy type thing. And I think you're hundred percent right where there's more of like uh I have to shame this person into my point of view, or I have to make a real stink out of the fact that I think that person's an idiot for having that point of view. And I think cross board, across the political spectrum, everyone, I think you're hundred percent right that like, we almost need to like get back to some of what I value in the culture and common courtesy would be one of those. When I go over to my mom's house, I wear a mask. I only sit outside. That's the way my mom's live. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just a fucking common courtesy thing. I also, I've got an aunt who's an educator and she said that, she's one of the people that's on the zoom calls. I guess like they split which teachers are doing what. And she said, she's got more and she's like younger kids. She said, she's got more kids that she can possibly teach to. And most of these kids that they're getting in, like literally don't know how to read. Like it's, it's, it's a disaster. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> like I, I, uh, it's just, it's just a hot mess. And it's, 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 you know, as a, as a, as a doctor, and seeing patients, I mean, some of the stories just break your heart. And then you got to put yourself back together and see the next person. <laughs> awesome. So we're going to hand it over. We're going to talk financial. But before I let you go, uh, Liberty Lockdown, you got any, uh, this is the resident run your mouth doctor. We we talked uh, Corona vaccine talk a little bit, but if you got any personal problems and you don't have access to a doctor normally, we try and get it as much free medical advice out of Dr. Krim as we can. Wear sheath underwear. Yeah. <laughs> there, you go. there you go. It got, she just got the medical endorsement promo code go. RYM 20% off. <laughs> That's all I need, man. I just need, need sheath underwear and I'm good to go. And what an excellent time to hop in here and tell you about sheath underwear, the now officially doctor endorsed product from sheath. Uh, If you're not familiar with Sheath, then you've never listened to our podcast. They've been a loyal sponsor. They've been with us for a couple months educating the Run Your Mouth fans to the fact that they don't need to wear underwear where your dick and balls are just flopping in the wind. You don't have to do that. You don't have to have your Fruit of the Loom or other stuff with that just kind of stale cotton that gets bad over time each time you wash it. And no, what you need is sheath. You got, you got to upgrade your life. You're getting your um, your Biden bucks. They're coming in the mail. You're not sure how you're going to spend them. And so invest in you know, protecting your real assets, your dick and balls. What's sheath underwear? Well, it's unbelievably comfortable underwear. It's uh, really good if you're working out. It uh, keeps everything in place. It's got the moisture wicking technology. This is uh, the the owner of sheath. I mean, he doesn't normally talk about this. You're going to have to go deep dive into his podcast, but he actually um, was abducted by aliens and aliens gave him over this technology. They said, listen, we can save humanity. And the problem is that everyone's wearing bad underwear. They're in bad moves all the time. And not just that, because they're not protecting their nuts. Once they're finally getting their wives pregnant, it's, it's, it's bad semen because their nuts are just flopping in the wind. None of this is things that I'm allowed to claim. I mean, if there were things that might be get flagged, but yeah, I don't think the FCC is listening to my ad reads, nor do I think uh, any other health department is going to listen to this, nor do I think Dr. Krim is going to get a knock on his door and say, did you claim that if people are not wearing sheath underwear, that they will end up impregnating their wives with bad sperm and it will be the end of humanity? And Dr. Krim will be like, I'm pretty sure I never said that. But you know what? If uh, Hopefully they'll then play this audio in court and they'll be like, nope, you said it in conjunction with that ad read. And he'll be like, I wasn't even on that ad read. 
All right, guys, sheath underwear, excellent underwear. <laughs> they have my full endorsement. If you're not familiar, you can wear them as regular underwear and they're great. Or they've got a little dick hole. They got a sheath hole. You can separate your, uh, your dick from your balls. It's uh, particularly good if you're doing a workout. And if you use promo code RYM, you can get 20% off. And we all like savings. Not only do we like savings, but you know what else we like? We like that if the financial markets go to shit, that we can have the inside scoop. And so we're going to get some in-depth analysis right now from Clint from the Liberty Lockdown podcast, all about uh, some stuff going on in the economy. Uh, so let's get into that. I want to get right into some financial topics. There were a lot of random stuff I had in my mind, and now I just look to you as being the financial wizard. Uh, <laughs> and so I'm hoping that you've got the insight on all of these. Before we get best. into before we get into some of the uh, particular um, questions that I have, I, I think it's um, would be of tremendous value to the listeners of this show who actually do enjoy the nerdy finance talk. I was on your show, Liberty Lockdown, probably about a month back, mm -hmm. and you were talking about that you think that there's going to be uh, major financial problems as they list uh, as they take away the. I think the word is moratorium on evictions. Right. Uh, and as we start to see default in properties, uh, we're going to see something similar to the last financial crisis. So I guess to start out, just because when I'm talking, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. And that's partly why this is entertaining is I'm just thinking out loud and I have no actual credentials. So <laughs> why don't you tell people a little bit because uh, you, you actually work in, in mortgages and finance. Why don't you tell people a little bit what your credentials are and then we can get into your particular theory about what's about to happen to the economy. Sure. Uh, first off, for my background, just so people know that I'm not totally talking out of my ass. Um, private money mortgage broker, entrepreneur, started my own company uh, about seven years ago, but I've been in the business for 15. I've been investing in trustees and, and real estate for about as long as I've been an adult. So it, it is certainly my area of expertise as much as I can call myself an expert on anything. That would probably be it. And, uh, you know, I've, I've funded over a hundred million dollars in private money loans throughout my career. And, uh, you know, I I'm basically reading the tea leaves. I, I'm, I'm not of, you know, CFA, I'm not a financial analyst on, on the highest level, but, uh, because I manage, you know, millions of dollars in investments for private investors, it, it certainly has, uh, taught me how to evaluate these things. All right. And so now let's get into the, uh, the specifics. So let's, let's talk about, what you see coming, uh, general mainstream news at the moment for the first time, or it's really over the last four months, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, traditional news organizations are now reporting on, hey, is there a risk of inflation? And the Fed's got to be out there every day selling us on, listen, we haven't even hit that 2%. We're going to be okay. If we're going to see inflation, it'll only be a benefit. What nobody's talking about, though, is what's going on in the commercial mortgage market. Um, which is, if you think about it, like just take New York. I mean, that's the only thing I can think of, but you know, I, what were some of these ground floor properties worth a year ago and what are they going to be worth when the world even reopens and what's going to happen when like a lot of those people were actually lent money in order to, um, I think make payments on their mortgage. Like that, the, the commercial real estate market gets weird that way where, your your um your landlord will almost like get you a crazy fucking loan so that you can afford to be there. Uh, <clears throat> but I'll hand it back to you. So maybe you can start giving us a little bit about what the what the buildup is and what what some of the problem is. Sure. Uh, so there 
basically when we when we first had the lockdowns, there was uh, PPP loans that were offered to people to try and keep these businesses afloat. Uh, but the truth of the matter is that many of these companies have become telecommuting. So they're never going to have employees going back to their offices. Some of them. I mean, certainly some of them will go back, but many will not. And because of the PPP loans, it, it has, in my view, papered over the true damage to the both the commercial real estate market. But then on top of that, you ha also have all of the unemployment insurance and all of the stimulus that they've been sending out, which papers over the crisis amongst the consumers in residential. So it's it's multifaceted. Um, at this point, I've I've done additional research since you were last on to kind of see if I'm crazy because I was hoping I was, and and I don't appear to be, unfortunately. Um, so what, what's occurring right now is that there's only a million houses for sale in, in America. That's very, very low. Normally we have inventory between two and three million. So what, what's happening is because the foreclosure moratorium and the eviction moratorium or uh, the forbearances on, uh, on foreclosures and the moratorium on evictions, you, you have an environment where inventory that would otherwise be hitting the market because of foreclosures or evictions, and then people would be selling them, that's not occurring. So you have hyper low interest rates manipulated by the Fed. So people are able to borrow money cheaper than they ever have in their entire lives, maybe in the history of this country, uh, perhaps. And and you can afford to buy a starter home for you know three quarters of a million dollars and it's comparable to renting. And, and this is almost identical in structure to what we saw in 07, 06, leading up to the 08, 09 collapse. So my concern is that that's exactly what we're looking at, you know, to put it bluntly. Um, the only thing that's keeping us afloat is that obviously they printed and borrowed five going on seven trillion, it looks like after the bill today or yesterday or being put into law tomorrow, um, that they are just flooding the flooding Wall Street with trillions of dollars, but very little of it is actually getting to the people. As you know, it's a fraction of these bills actually gets to the consumer. So uh, but because it's not getting to the consumer, we don't have monetary velocity where the the money is actually exchanging and, and moving around the economy. It's not really occurring. It's just going into stocks. And, and that's why you see bubbles there. So it, all the way around, I think that uh, we're set up for a recipe for disaster because there are 10 to 12 million homes that are in forbearance right now. If you assume for for uh, for an example, just say that 40% of those ultimately end up being foreclosures. Well, if that's the case, you have four to five million in additional inventory that hits this market that only has one million today. If you get up to six million houses that all hit the market within a, say, a 12-month period, which I don't think will start until the end of this year. But uh, the reason I'm out in front of this is because I'm trying to give people as much knowledge and as much you know forewarning that they can actually do something to either dodge it or benefit from it. And uh, you know the the only thing that's really keeping this uh, at bay is the fact that you know we have we have so much central bank manipulation, uh, and whether or not you end up in a hyperinflationary spiral where they actually just helicopter money to the people, because I think that's the only way you end up in hyperinflation is if you if you give it to the people, and then you see uh, because our production has been decreased because we've had lockdowns for you know a year. Uh, obviously, you can't have the same amount of production that we did in a normal economy, and and you have fewer goods with more dollars chasing fewer goods, which creates inflation. So I All right, hope so, that wasn't too convoluted. No, no, no. Before we get into the uh, inflation aspect of it, let's um let's just build out a little bit of the story that we're uh, talking with the housing market. 
So let's not even talk commercial. Let's just talk residential, which is what you were talking about of that. There's currently, I'll just recap the figures I heard from you. There's currently 1 million homes available in your estimation. Once banks are allowed to foreclose on houses, that number will probably jump to five or 6 million. Mm -hmm. Now, what that means is that there will be an excess of demand in houses and overall home values are going to be coming down. In other words, you're looking at almost highly inflated home values at the moment because um, supply is artificially low. Correct. Now, what I know of the last um, housing crisis is that the Wall Street firms, we can say, if you want to be favorable, can, you can say they made this mistake. If you want to say that they were in the business just looking for fees and they knew it was coming, then you can take the more, which I, I believe is, is what it was, at least on the highest levels. But all of their software assumed that the housing market was never going down and so therefore they could collateralize basically what was going on in the housing market. You know, they could put together these um, these debt instruments. And then what was interesting about those debt instruments is that from what I understand, um, they were treated as prime collateral and they basically expanded money supply against those assets. Um, and they were bundled together, loaned or whatever else. In other words, there was a lot of economic growth that was off the assumption of a housing market that was going up in value. Yes. Now, I don't know if the financial markets are still, um, I guess, operating that way that I don't know if banks are still um, bundling together these mortgages in the way that they were in the past. But if what you're saying is true and all of a sudden, like a lot of, because here's the crazy thing about, because I, I think this is another thing that's kind of, uh, I, I was thinking about this example before the show. Um, I know some people that got stuck in like the the Madoff thing, right? Mm -hmm. So imagine if you have all your money in with Madoff and let's just keep the numbers simple here. Let's say you got a million dollars with Madoff, right? And it's paying 10%. So you're getting your check every single month and you think you got a million dollars and you're living in a nice house because you think you're getting this check every month for Madoff and you've got a million dollars. So you're living a certain lifestyle. The day Madoff goes under, you've got to make an adjustment to your lifestyle because you got to write down the fact that you no longer have that a million dollars, right? You probably got to get rid of your house. Like you got to make adjustments. Now, the truth of the matter is like you can look at it from one perspective and go up until I find out that that asset doesn't exist. I'm living a pretty good lifestyle. I keep getting my check every single month. I get to stay in my house. So as long as Madoff's lie continues, I get to continue living my lifestyle. My lifestyle is pretty good. Mm -hmm. But the reality is the sooner you find out you can't afford your house, the sooner you can start making the adjustments and you can start saving for retirement. You're not actually benefiting, right? right. But right. until the day it happens that you've got to write down that investment, you're living pretty good. Now, if you're a bank, banks get to create a lot of collateral against what's in there. So they never want debt to be called. That's not what they're looking for because as long as like, you know, as long as the loan is outstanding, they get to continue to create, um, basically lend out money against that. They get to create fictional money because they've got a lend. Like if they got a, let's just keep the math simple. If I, if they put out a hundred thousand dollars, like on someone's mortgage or whatever, and then they, I guess if they can then create money off of that, now they can create $900,000. Right. But if that house goes under, right, they lose that a hundred thousand dollar asset, which now means that they have to recall basically $900,000 in cash. I'm going to pause there for a second just to make sure that I'm thus far being accurate. Uh, for the most part, I, I can't speak specifically to how conventional lenders, uh, you know, collateralize and then use derivatives markets to increase their lending base. I don't know that side of things. I'm a private lender. Uh, I do know that that's what they were doing in 08. 
And, and I know that's why the market imploded. I don't believe that it stopped as we discussed before. I think that uh, it's almost impossible that what I've read is that there was a hundred trillion dollars in derivatives markets. So they are, they are taking all of these mortgages, bundling them up and then, you know, stamping them with AAA ratings and then allowing pension funds and all sorts of other entities uh, buy them. Once they're bought, then the bank gets that capital back. They either send it back to the Fed or they lend it out again. So it's this is this is what creates monetary velocity is when you do that is like the money is circulating very rapidly because it's all a house of cards. But the problem is when that game ends, it gets real ugly real fast. So let's just look at the residential market and forecast. If 5 million, because there's a, there's a couple different perspectives here. If 5 million homes go onto the market, two different things happen at the same time. One, if banks were lending out money against that, you're going to have a massive um, crunch in the financial markets, right? Like that's probably, you're going to see what you saw in the subprime mortgage crisis. And maybe, uh, you know, maybe the Fed comes in and they bail out some of these banks, which they probably will. I mean, let's be honest, they're going to do that. That yeah. like, that's even what they're doing with the, um, with like the repo market, it's the same thing that there's not enough capital in the system. So they come in and they lend it to the banks as they need it. Um, that, right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the same thing. We're just going to see that on a, on a larger level. Um, so, but even so you're going to, the system is ruled by confidence. And as long as people have faith in currency and they got faith in the system, things somewhat, even it's all, it, it, it's a Ponzi scheme, but as long as people are keeping their money in the Ponzi scheme, you can pretend like business is still open. And that's somewhat the way government has to operate. And so it could be that this is an end game and they're able to do the bailouts and people remain confident, but no matter what, there will be a period where people are spooked. And so you will see a six month to a year, kind of like what we saw in the subprime mortgage crisis, where people get spooked, companies start saving, people start, people are not spending in the same way because mm -hmm. they think a massive recession is coming. So that's, um, right. that's one aspect, but yeah, go, go, go for it. Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly what I think is, you know, the, my, my personal prognosis is that the odds are that we see a repeat of 0809, where we have uh, a few years where real estate takes a shit, the entire stock market follows it because all of this stuff is intertwined. And you end up with, you know, real opportunities for those that, especially libertarians that are, that are really averse to holding cash. If you can actually hold cash and you see a deflationary environment, like a debt default collapse, which is what I'm des describing. In that environment, that's the opportunity of a lifetime because you know the Fed's going to intervene and they're going to print you know, us to oblivion. So if you're able to buy these houses at depressed values, it's really the opportunity of a lifetime. And if you can buy some, you know, a handful of stocks of companies that you believe in, that also might be the opportunity of a lifetime. Or if you look at March, when we had the lockdowns first uh, rumored and Bitcoin took a shit, that could be the opportunity of a lifetime where Bitcoin uh, goes, you know, back to earth and then you can hop in there too. So all of that's the reason I'm bringing this up is because I believe that, that if I'm correct, um, these price levels will not hold and you will have an opportunity to get in at a reasonable price level. And then we probably have the end stages of, you know, fiat, global fiat. And and the only question is, am I wrong? And in fact, we go straight to hyperinflation from here, in which case owning a house, even at these price levels makes sense. But because people, the consumer doesn't have a job or money, you know, can you actually have hyperinflation where people can't afford to buy these houses? And that that's the that's the question I can't 
you know, I can't figure okay. out. So before, because before we get to some of the remedy, I think there's one other thing uh, people should be aware of in terms of the potential recessionary environment, which is we were kind of just talking on the uh, on the Wall Street side, which sadly I actually think um, affects more stuff. Like if you look at the bailouts the last time and fixing the economy, they weren't doing helicopter money. Nope. But the other side of it, which I think will have a big impact, is I think a lot of people, um, if people's home values come down, which they will, people will be forced to take money out of the stock market. And I think currently in the stock market, people are actually trying to borrow more and more because Huge. they think the returns are so good that like we're, we're really at the, in my opinion, the end of like suckers rush in where mm -hmm. the people that have all their money in there are like, how do I get a hold of more? If home prices come down and people are losing, like you know, their their primary equity, um, I think the stock market's going to have to come down, and you will for sure basically see people's spending coming down, which will also be recessionary. Exactly. Yeah. No. You you lay out the case perfectly, and and I think that's I think that's where we're at. I think we're at you know late stage bubble behavior. When you have you know I, I have I play beach volleyball, so I have all these young kids, <laughs> all these young men that I hang out with, and they are coming up to me all day, every day. Cause they know I'm like the rich guy. And right. they're, like, they're like, dude, stocks, dude, crypto, <laughs> Bitcoin. And I'm like, I'm like, you're 22 and you have nothing but stimulus checks in your bank account. What the fuck are you doing investing in the stock market right now? And, and anytime you see a late stage bubble, that's what you get. You get very un, uneducated. I mean, or, or naive or whatever you want to call it. The people that aren't the big fish usually are the ones that, that serve to hold the bag while the big guys exit. And, and I'm trying to prevent, you know, my audience, perhaps yours from being the sucker. That's the <laughs> last man holding the bag because uh, you know, whether or not I'm right, the you're just being greedy at this point in my, in my personal vantage point, like sure, this bubble could last another year. It might even last two, but we're towards the end. So like, right. Do, well, do the you want to hold on? The, the only, uh, flip side argument to that might be that the inflation's coming and maybe certain assets will ride inflation. Exactly. And that's the only counter argument. This, right. The stock market might be one of those assets, whereas instead of coming down, uh, the system at B doesn't want the stock market coming down. And so it pumps more money into it, either through firms to do stock buybacks or they start lending you money to go buy whatever the hell they do to keep the stock market up. It might be that while currency is becoming less valuable, like my grandfather, I think he owns some real estate and he said inflation basically bailed him out, which can right. happen, right? Where all of a sudden, like, because cash has shit the bed, you're just lucky to have this other asset that like, <laughs> like the housing market in some ways, you can almost like it, it rode the wave of inflation. The reason why your house is so valuable is it just kind of went up like as cash went down, your house just became more expensive relative to cash. Well, so that, that yeah. and then also leverage because there's so much leverage in that, in that market that if you bought before everyone was taking out, you know, 90% LTV loans to purchase, if you bought 50 years ago when people were still putting like half of like 50%, like half of the purchase price down, when you have people putting less and less down, you're going to have more and more buyers because right. more, and more, more and more people qualify. So you, you get to benefit on two levels. You get to benefit on the fact that the dollar becomes worth less and you also get to benefit on there's the more leverage. demand for it. Right. Exactly. There's, there's more demand for it. So in your analysis, 
we are most likely coming to uh, a recessionary environment. Firstly, if you just look at the like the the trends in the stock market, this has been one of the largest boom periods. Like usually there are natural dips. We haven't had one of those natural dips. We're overdue for a natural dip. You also just look at if you've got a uh, libertarian perspective on economics and the you know boom and bust cycle and that they're actually caused by government activities of low interest rates and inflating and putting money out there. So then they've been doing nothing but that. So we're, we're due for, we're due for a bust. So now the question, which, which you've put forward is if you're sitting in cash, are you going to have a buying environment where you're going to be able to go buy stuff on the cheap or is there, is there going to be inflation to the point where that cash you're holding, you can't go buy anything. And everyone who's sitting on the assets are actually lucky because the assets are just going to appreciate in value relative to the inflated currency. You're you're exactly right, and that's that's the reason I don't give a definitive prediction because I can't say there is too many factors that are involved in this for me to say a hundred percent we're going to have deflation and then we're going to have inflation or we're going straight into hyperinflation. Anyone that tells you that they know definitively, I think, is lying. So I'm just trying to advise people that you should hedge both directions. If you if you believe that we're going straight hyperinflation, then perhaps you should hold a percentage of your portfolio in cryptocurrency, maybe even stocks, even though I don't think so. Maybe even real estate, even though I don't think so. If I was going to hedge that direction, I would lean towards crypto personally. That's just my opinion. This is not financial advice. And then on the other side, if you think that I'm right about there being a deflationary collapse because the debt is so outrageously high that you're going to have a debt bubble first, then you have the opportunity to benefit by holding cash, buying those deflated assets. So my my personal vantage point is that you should hold a percentage of your portfolio, which is significant in cash, and then also a per percentage of your portfolio that's significant in crypto so that you can be on both sides of this thing. And, you know, one of them will take a shit. You're going to either, you're either going to get killed on crypto or you're going to get killed on cash. I just think that it's it's prudent to have exposure both ways because if you bet wrong, you're going to really regret it. Okay. And then in terms of uh, some of the recent news stories, I'm not quite fully understanding what's happened to interest rates over the last week. Um, but I, I guess just from a bird's eye perspective, and I haven't quite done my homework, so maybe you can uh, give us a little bit more perspective here, but it seems like interest rates are slowly climbing. And the reason why they're slowly climbing is because... Um, the demand for U.S. government debt is kind of at capacity, so they can't really offer the zero or potentially negative interest rates. Um, what that changes about the system is all of a sudden, perhaps people actually start shifting from stock markets to bonds or people start actually holding more cash because they think interest rates is going up and that it would be worthwhile investing in bonds. Um, but I'm not totally sure what the, I know that that was kind of in the news Um more last week that there was something going on with interest rates. And I forgot what was on the other side of that. You can maybe fill us in here a little bit. I, I know a little bit about it. This is a really complicated topic. So like I can't give a ironclad answer on this, but I do know that that the rates are largely dictated based off of inflation expectations. And because they were floating the idea of the $1.9 trillion stimulus package, I think that's why interest rates rose briefly. They have actually come back down to earth this week based off of the most recent thing I read. So obvi obviously they are still believing that the Federal Reserve will serve as lender of last resort and that they, they will step in to buy these bonds even if no one else is willing. But in that environment, that is pure inflation. If you have the central bank 
buying your bonds so you're just printing money right it's not coming from anything other than just the money being printed exactly it's crazy so um you know whichever direction it goes it's it seems to me to be inflationary because you can't you can't buy your own bonds from printed money you know and it's just i mean to me it just seems like inevitable end of fiat currency globally just to put it bluntly like the all of these central banks are before b- behaving in similar fashion they're all doing the same shit it's all anti-austrian and i don't see how it plays out any differently long term but in the short term because the debt is so heavy i think that for their own sake if they want to maintain some value of the dollar it seems almost obligatory that they will allow the debt collapse to occur so it's it's complicated, dude. All right. And then if we're looking at things that strike you as late stage bubble, I mean, what happened with uh, um, the Wall Street bets and GameStop, that just struck me as a late stage bubble. 100%. Yeah. You got to buy when all of a sudden your average schmuck is making money. It's late stage bubble. Like it's it's supposed to be like <laughs> the random rich people are fucking winners. But when you just see your average schmuck winning at the casino, that's when the fucking casino is going under. <laughs> right <laughs> no you're you totally know, right think, think about briefly just uh i don't even know if you're old enough but i am to remember the 99 and 2000 the dot-com uh bubble it was ridiculous i had you know i had my my parents at the time i remember this was like my first exposure to a a real bubble they were like like qualcomm i think got up to 800 dollars a share which back in you know 99 was ridiculous right. and and you know it's never it's I don't think it's ever approached that value again because uh, they they had a bunch of splits and it was it was absurd. But that's that's really when you know when you have average Schmucks. people when you have average people. Yeah, I'll be nice and say that just average people. <laughs> uh, but when you have average people that are are diving in and and worse if they're borrowing money to dive in, that's really dangerous. Dude, and have, that's what I, you see in crypto. People don't know this, but there is a ton of leverage in the crypto market. There are kids that are buying crypto on leverage. So if you see any so adjustment, stupid. they get wiped out. The market tanks. I mean, you just you can't you can't have a leveraged market that goes on in, per, in perpetuity. It eventually comes crashing down. So the other thing that just strikes me is going, hey, we're, we're late stage here. And every asset is uh, that's not cash is starting to suddenly have value seemingly on expectations of inflation is uh, baseball cards and collectibles are through the roof. But even crazier than that is NFTs, which everything I'm rating makes zero sense. The only way the NFTs make sense is if there's some sort of money laundering scheme that I'm not understanding. (laughs) But the fact that someone would spend $65 million for a digital painting that they don't own when you could go buy real assets and pretend like that's investment makes zero sense. So why don't you explain to the audience what NFTs are? And then we can, and then we can get into why in my estimation, they just appear to be total lunacy, but like, I'm pretty sure when, when we see the story a couple of years from now, these have to be fictional, fictional money transactions between players on the same side that are somehow inflating their asset value. There is not a buyer out there that's buying this stuff at the price tags I'm seeing. You might be right. I, I don't know. I, I honestly, I just found out about NFTs like 10 days ago. I had never even heard of them before. <laughs> well, it just came up. Like th- this is, it's brand, it's brand spanking new. Yeah. They're, they're, I think they're called uh, non-fungible tokens. So that basically it means that it's a, an unreproducible work of digital art 
of some no, it's some not. Form of fashion. So it's actually not even that. From uh, okay, from what I understand, and like obviously there's a new there's a new asset class, so there will be NFTs that actually come with um more perks than just this. But at its core, the NFT is like when I put out this podcast, like I put out the Run Your Mouth podcast, even, and this is just free, available for everybody. I can create an NFT against it with a serial number that says that this is the only you are the original person who owns this. Now, if you look at paintings like this, the example you want to say, the Mona Lisa, we can we can reproduce that a million times. You can probably hire a painter. You can paint you a perfect fucking Mona Lisa, but no one gives a shit because it's not the original. And so the argument they're trying to make is that when it comes to digital assets, if I just assign something as being the original, it will have value. To me, that's fucking lunacy because <laughs> the difference is at least at one point in time, the Mona Lisa, there only was one. And it's got historical significance and it wasn't distributed as a just one thing. When I put something right. out digitally, it exists in mass from the outset. It's a, it's a mass thing. There is no original. So to assign something and say it's the original and assume that people are going to care or that it will have collectible value, insanity. Now, here's the other side of it. And then I'll hand it back to you because I'm ranting a bunch. I, I had a financial expert on so I could talk to you a bunch. Uh, sure. <laughs> is that... Like, imagine if the NFT existed like a musical license where basically I'm an artist, I own this, and I'm saying I'm going to grant you the ownership to this thing, so I'm going to put it out with the NFT, and then you own it, and then who knows, maybe 10 years from now, Run Your Mouth becomes super valuable, Sirius XM wants to play commercials on this, and you now own the licensing right because I sold it to you with the NFT. The NFT doesn't even work that way. So, for example, the NBA has been, been selling NFTs against footage of the nba so like you get let's say footage of lebron james he's got a you know slam dunk and they put that up as a highlight like a baseball card they want to say you can get the nft of that like it's a baseball card but here's the thing if the nba does a documentary in 10 years from now and they use that they don't have to pay you for the footage you don't own the footage so you're buying the supposed right right like it's the supposed like baseball card type collectible that I ha that I own the original, but the original doesn't allow, like I don't physically own anything that I can claim this is just for me. I don't get any licensing, any ownership whatsoever. This strikes me like there's zero value to it whatsoever. It makes zero, there's no sense to it. I, I think that the, the issue is that there's a belief somehow that you can have electronic code, which is essentially what the NFT is. It's just like a blockchain entry. And and have it, because it's not reproducible, that you can't just screenshot it on your computer and still have the same thing. It's like, to me, it's obviously reproducible. Just because you you own that code, that little piece of the blockchain, who gives a shit? Like, the, the, the video of LeBron dunking is still going to, the rights, like you said, will still be held by the NBA. Just your NFT is the thing you own. And the... And the only market that there is for it is if someone else wants to pay you more for it. It's like, it's pure trash as far as I'm right. concerned. So it's like, I, I need uh, someone to, I need someone to explain to me why it's worth anything. Cause I can't tell. I guess it's trying to be it, it, stated differently. It's trying to be a cryptocurrency that's yeah. tied to a, um, it's tied to a particular tangible asset. But at the end of the day, but, it's but it just is intangible. Right. It's intangible. So unless you somehow created a universe where the every different NFT could be easily transacted upon, where it's almost like uh, the way I hold a hundred dollar bill, I can own the LeBron James NFT. The value is instantly recognized and converted. But the issue with that is unlike even Bitcoin, 
where everyone who's a transacting in Bitcoin kind of sees the relative value it and that becomes the price tag. The fact that I value LeBron James as being worth 200 grand and someone else might value uh, a painting at a high, you're talking about assets of such a diverse range where it's not just like a single dollar bill or it's cameras. You're talking about the collectible value. So you're not going to have one single market the same way you don't have like a single market jewelry is for people that are interested in jewelry. You know yeah. what I mean? So it just, and what you're going to have an auction environment every time you want to go try and buy, like it just, I don't know. It's really just not making sense to me. No, it doesn't make sense to me either. I mean, LeBron James has dunked thousands of times in his career. So is each NFT worth that? And then all the players that have ever dunked that have had a cool highlight is, is the NFT worth millions for each of those? Like, uh, it, the reason Bitcoin has value is obviously network effect, but then additionally, because it has limited supply. And if you, if you're just producing NFTs from thin air, I, I don't understand the intrinsic value uh, other than the fact that there is a market for it right now for no apparent reason. So to me, it seems as if it's almost like even, beanie babies. <laughs> you right. know, it's like, and it's even, like really in-stage shit. And by the way, just to build off that point. So one of the things that makes Bitcoin a value is that there is a definite finite amount of Bitcoin that's built right. into the algorithm, finite amount. You take the NFTs. I mean, the NBA alone, like let's say the NBA was going to be the only NFT in existence. Let's just imagine. So tomorrow, like right now, they could just be doing current highlights. Let's say tomorrow they go, you know what? We're going down the archive. They just inflated their own NFT and what guarantee you don't know the release rate of their NFT. And then if every single asset ever can now recreate an NFT against it. So let's go with that music artist. So Kings of Leon just created an NFT, but now let's say Led Zeppelin does their whole catalog. Now, after Led Zeppelin does it, Warner brother goes, you know what? We're going to do our whole catalog. So now you almost have an instant, like um, you've got endless inflation against this NFT because unlike Bitcoin, where there's a set amount of how much can possibly be mined, I, I mean, there. it sounds to me like there, I mean, it's not infinite, but there's a pretty large amount of number of things that could be like someone could create an NFT against tomorrow. It's almost like, I think it is infinite. Yeah. How is it not? I mean, you could just do an NFT for everything. So I think it is infinite. I think it's like pure definition of fiat where there is no limited to the supply at all. And I, you know, that's why I like the idea, like when Wu-Tang, I don't know if you remember this, but Wu-Tang the, sold, yeah, sold yeah. their album to one dude. And Martin Scully like, ended up with it. Right. Well, I think he ended up selling it because he got put in prison. But <laughs> uh, yeah, anyways, you get the idea. So like I can understand that value. That's really cool. Like you could buy an album from like one of the biggest artists of all time, own it for your yourself and no one else gets to hear it forever. Or like, sell it. That's the idea. But the right. NFT doesn't have the ownership, which is what blows up the whole well, thing making own, any sense. You, you own the NFT, but that doesn't mean anything. So it's I just... For the life of me, I can't wrap my head around it. It, it, it. It'll be hilarious if 10 years from now, NFTs are like the biggest thing on earth. And this <laughs> this is a, a record of us being totally fucking stupid. But this is the I don't stupidity. think so. Imagine if I owned a Lamborghini and I walked up to you. Like, let's just say this NFT thing didn't exist. I walk up to you and I go, listen, I'm selling the Lamborghini. You're like, so I get to drive it? No, I'm keeping the Lamborghini. <laughs> I'm going to drive it. Might sell it to someone else down the line. But here's a code that says that you own the one code that exists in line with this Lambo. Well, right. can I just buy the Lambo? No, I'm not selling the Lambo. I'm selling you this code. And if anyone asks, it's got value because it's the only code tied to this. Well, I'll just go buy the fucking thing. <laughs> no, uh, th this this photo is worth as much as the, the car and the experiences you'll get from it. Yeah, I, I mean, like I said, dude, I, I really think that this will be looked at as like one of the biggest signs that we were in. <laughs> Late the, stage bubble. The, All right, the so bubble of all bubbles. 
here's the other side to the NFT. And this is going to get us into a little bit more of what might be some wise uh, financial decisions moving forward. But there clearly is an interest in tying assets to um, cryptocurrency. And that's in part what's going on with the NFT. Now, maybe the NFT might evolve into what you and I are describing, which is actual ownership for something which might create some value. Mm-hmm. Now, the argument is being made that the value of um, like Ethereum over a Bitcoin is that the Ethereum or a different ledger actually allows for the NFTs to be created and for more transactions to take place. Bitcoin, part of what makes it a store of value is the fact that it's um, got this open ledger. It's slightly inefficient to transact in, and that actually makes it a very good store of value. The mm-hmm. argument against the other cryptos is that since they're not, it doesn't have that perfect system, the perfect ledger, the absolute openness of being owned by everybody. Um, And there's a lot, the blockchain technology for, for Bitcoin works because there's an incentive for you to keep it on your computer. The whole thing kind of ties together nicely. All the other coins aren't quite working in the same way. There's someone who owns the platform or whatever it is. I don't really know the way Ripple or Ethereum function, but some of the arguments is that the actual financial transactions will be more efficiently done with these other technologies. And if we can see the beauty of not having to use banks and being able to have other currencies where we can just kind of freely spend amongst each other, these other technologies are going to be better. Um, are you invested in any uh, in any cryptos other than Bitcoin? And do you do you think any of the other ones hold value? Uh, I, I am shotgunning you know, a handful just because you don't know what, how stupid this shit's going to get. I mean, that's basically how I'm viewing it as to, um, actually understanding what all of the individual cryptos offer in terms of differentiation from Bitcoin. I I understand it vaguely, but not enough to really talk about it. You know what? It's almost like, it's like, uh, your, your strategy and maybe I should do this as well. It's a little bit like when you're playing craps and you're, you're rolling hots, you're spending the casino's money. So you start play like, not that listen, craps is a losing game, but I still like craps. You're smart. I love craps. Oh, I love craps, dude. We can throw craps sometime. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but if you're playing craps smart by the textbook, in my or you might have a different strategy. We can talk crap strategy. <laughs> but pass line, max odds, two come bets, max odds. Yep. And that's all you should be doing. And you need a bankroll of basically 10. No. Yeah, about. No, I'm going to say 100 to 1 on whatever the minimum bet is. So if the minimum bet's $5, you need a bankroll of $500. Um, in order for that, you you play aggressive, but I like it (laughs) in in order for that strategy to work. But by the way, it's, it's, you can lose money fast and you can lose that bankroll fast, but anyways. Yeah. But you can make money fast. Yeah. Well, that's, what's fun about crap. The craps is the heroin of gambling. We're like, you go on a 30 minute run and everyone's fucking high-fiving you and hugging you after each roll. It's the, it's the greatest feeling on earth. It feels like you hit a game winner in game seven. Right. But it takes, (laughs) You lose in the long run and you keep chasing those like (laughs) those spontaneously good rolls. But anyway, but sometimes you just start throwing like when you when you're making money, you just start fucking 10 the hard ways, eight the hard. Like you just start having fun with it. So to you, the other cryptos are just the hard way bets where you're like, fuck it. There'll be a big payoff if the market likes it. I'll just throw (laughs) a little bit on there and know that the odds are great. I rolled I rolled for 40, like 45 minutes straight in Vegas one time. And I had I had how much did you make? Uh, well, I don't, I don't roll as heavy as you. So I, I mean, I, I have a lot of money, but I don't gamble heavy. So I was betting, I was betting very, very light. I probably made, I mean, 12, 1500, something like that. It was 
it was decent. Here's, but... a, here's the thing with crap. I play, I mean, I haven't played craps now in two years. My strategy with gambling has always been, or at least in the past, it's like I'll allocate a thousand dollars for the year. And if I lose it, that's it. No more gambling for the year. I think that's I had fair. two years in a row where I went in January and was done for the year. <laughs> but hey that's good it's good to have the the willpower or to know that you don't have the willpower so no if you're if you're playing craps that's the only way to do it man you got you need that you need that bankroll and you gotta but it's crazy no it's true because like if you're playing the way i just described you like you rarely don't have a hundred two hundred dollars on the table like if it's and then when it gets going dude that's the thing because like when you catch that roll it's fun because like you'll start pulling money off the table but when you find because at some point you will crap out and oh, you yeah. keep building what you have on the table. When you finally crap out and like you do the math later on what you just let them take, you're like, <laughs> yeah. Jesus like, fucking Christ. Shit. Yeah. I could, yeah. Have been, I could have been up 2000. Yeah. But the, so I roll for like 40, 45 minutes. I have this army of girls that are surrounding me. They're like, they're like under my arms. I don't even know these chicks, but I'm just like, everyone's going so fucking wild. They're under my arms while I like in between rolls. And I'm like, I'm like kissing them on the cheek and shit. I'm like, yo, I got to roll. Get it. Get, get out of here, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> roll again. And, and all these guys are like fucking offering me, um, you know, to buy dinner and shit. Cause they're all making so much money. It's just the best experience on earth. I think it's, I think it's way underrated. Everyone should play craps. This is not financial advice. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I've not played. It's at least two or three years since the last time I, I played craps. Dude, me too. I haven't played craps in, I mean, I, I went to Vegas last summer, but it was locked down. So it was worthless. Yeah, I think I've had a few too many losers in a row where you're just like, eh, this isn't fun. But it's so yeah. fun. When you catch those it, moments, it's the best. It's, yeah, I mean, it's like, it's you know, you're chasing the dragon. It's the heroin shit. But. I also, I'm weird. I only like, I, if I'm at the casino, I like starting to gamble at three in the morning because then that's when you can actually like get some space at the table and like the, the limits start coming down. Right. And I also love the thrill of uh, the overnighter at the casino chain smoking cigarettes getting hammered on the drinks like that that to me is what the casino is all about this this is this is my ideal debauchery dude i fucking i absolutely love it i love vegas you probably since you're east coast you probably go i've never no i've never actually been to vegas um most of the gaming i've done is at mohegan sun which is actually only about an hour 15 for me Oh, dude, we got. No, go I'm Vegas. going there tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm all I'm all jacked up, but I think all of my casinos in California are closed, so it doesn't much matter. There you go. All right, so um, I was starting to look because I need to get a little bit wiser with my money, and so I'm just looking at some of the things I think are going to do really well over the next ten years. Uh, so I'm going to throw out some of like I, I don't know any specific assets that people should go buy, but these to me are going to be like the big growth industry. So I'm curious to see if maybe you have some more insight into what some of the avenues will be. Um, The first one, and we've already kind of talked about the crypto assets, but I do think the more you understand banking and the power of the banks, I think the more you see the profit potential in decentralized banking and these peer-to-peer platforms where maybe I can just evaluate a lending opportunity and just lend to this guy and establish, you know what I mean? Like there isn't, if you just start looking at capital markets, it's not like you still kind of need to be in the know. I mean, you would know this better than anyone because you're the guy in the know who starts putting together deals for people. There still isn't like, or at least maybe I'm not that tech savvy, but it seems to me like there still isn't like an eBay for just financial transactions. We're still kind of in this like old school type thing where people are parking their money in banks. They don't get any return on it. Like it seems to me like the upward potential for decentralized banking and peer-to-peer lending 
me being able to evaluate an opportunity to maybe, I don't know, loan some kid in China. So he goes to school and I get some of his income, you know, let's just put poor people in slavery. That's really what I'm describing here. <laughs> Let us in the first world put our little bit of income to get smart, actual kids that want to work hard into school. And then let's take 40% of their income. And if they don't pay us, we'll be investing some of that winnings into armies that no, that's not really what I'm describing. But I do think that we are going to see more platforms like uh, like a Coinbase type thing, more places like that, uh, GoFundMe. I, I think the upward potential for you know decentralized capital markets is massive and that there's probably also a lot of profit opportunities in terms of like, or, or here's just one more thing put onto the table. I use Square my business. Square to me, and this is insane, just for processing payments, they're sometimes making half of what my commission is on some sales. And the amount of physical work that goes into my sales, the amount of shit I have to do after the sale, the fact that they make half of what I make, just be, and it, they got good leverage. At the end of the day, it's easy for me to be able to send this guy the invoice, just have him pay for the credit card, then have to run after him. But then I almost think like, oh shit, I just don't make enough money on my sales that their leverage is smaller than mine. They don't have the fucking client. They're not doing any of the work and they get, you know, two and a half percent versus my five. But it's crazy the fucking percentage they take for nothing. It's processing the credit card. Oh, that, so that's, that's outrageous. Uh, but they're going to they're going to face major competitors as as these, you know, the blockchain options, the decentralized banking, all of these things come online. So I, I'm I mean, there are going to be major winners, but there's also going to be a ton of losers in this field. So I would just be very cautious with that. Additionally, I would caution people about peer to peer lending. If you don't understand how to evaluate an investment, I would really recommend against it because if you look at something, if it's a, first off, if it's uncollateralized, like where there is nothing that you can foreclose or do anything about, if they don't pay you, it's just like they get a ding on their record on the peer to peer lending site or something like that. I mean, sure. If it's a small amount of money and you're willing to risk it, you know, feel free. But if you don't have collateral, this is, I mean, it's just a hope and a prayer. So uh, as as a secured lender, as someone who has done trustee lending forever, and ultimately the as the underlying asset is is what has secured me, even when I've had deadbeat borrowers and things like that. That's a much better position to be in. You may not be able to get the same amount of return, but you have far greater security. So um, it, it's not without peril, is all I'm saying. All right, but what, in your estimation, what do you think is like the next square, or just the you know what do you think is coming down the pipeline in terms of good investments for the the platforms the processing like what's going to be the ebay or next like ebay you know specifically for financial transactions yeah. or I, like I venmo came out venmo came out of fucking nowhere and how amazing right. is venmo no venmo's killer I, uh, unfortunately this really isn't my expertise i i do not so i won't i won't mislead you i just don't know i i, I know that there's tons of upstarts that are are coming in and trying to undercut you know people like square and and probably venmo too um but Ultimately, we don't. I don't have any clarity at this point as to who's going to be the front runner. I think it's probably going to be. Um, you know, you're going to have to wait and see which one starts to be like the the B or C squad, and then just pile in at that point. Or you can invest now and just kind of scattershot it amongst all the competitors, and then hope that one of them catches on and and goes hundred or a thousand x. But it's you know, it's anybody's guess as far as I'm concerned. I'm sure I'm sure someone who has really researched this, who could like dive into their their business plan and see, you know, what kind of debt they're carrying, what kind of assets they have there. There's probably a way to get to the bottom of this, but it's just not it's not my area. All right. So this one might be we were talking about a little bit when I was on uh, your show, which everyone should go check out Liberty Lockdown. 
Uh, but it was a great we were, episode, by the way. Don't you think? I thought it was great. I had a great time with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't get to nerd out on these topics all that much. Um, <laughs> but Bill Gates, apparently he's the buying up more land than anybody. I remember yeah. reading a couple years ago, Harvard, they're fucking eating up land. I uh, what? But then I started looking at land in Kentucky after our conversation. And there's so much fucking land in Kentucky that I'm like, how is this going to possibly appreciate in value? And right. I think the move with land is you definitely want something that probably has its own water source or maybe some other asset that could potentially appreciate in value, or you just hope that everything else goes to shit. And so you're riding inflation. Um, Any suggestions for people interested in buying land solely to try and protect themselves from inflation? Yeah. I mean, if I personally would only do it if you're going to go in homestead, you know, if you're going to go out and build your gold's gulch and, and have like this, this compound style shit where you can actually defend yourself. If, if we go, you know, straight Venezuela or something crazy like that. Um, personally land, when you're in a late stage bubble, land is a terrible investment historically. Ooh, interesting. Okay. It's, cause, cause if you see real estate fall, the only reason that land has value is because people want to build on it. That's the truth. I mean, unless it has, obviously you have, um, you know, food production and some other, some other land uses, but I'm talking more over the, the land that you actually build on. And, and that is the majority of, you know, demand for land is for people to build houses. So if you're talking rural areas and it's not food producer, you know, production, it's, it's going down in the inflationary environment. Uh, it'll be fucking destroyed. So, so in other words, I might as well hold my cash and try and grab that land after things go to shit. Exactly. Or you could just buy a fucking built house in that environment because the market's tanked. So either way, I, I personally, and I know a lot of people, and, and this is actually very standard, by the way, people, when they see real estate too expensive, people start to think about buying land because, right. because they go, I can't afford a house, but I can buy this land. Parcel. I mean, you're like, that's stupid because that's actually just the raw material for building the house. that's going to go down in value. You got it. All right. Next one is weed is going to be legal cross country. Biggest reason just being they need the fucking tax revenue. And yeah. it's almost like, uh, this is what happens with casinos, right? Everyone would prefer it's illegal, but then your neighboring state gets the casino and all of a sudden you're losing all this tax revenue and you're like, well, fuck, I'm not going to give them that money. And the problem is when it's legal everywhere, no one actually makes money off of it. I think you only make money when you're actually poaching some money from the other states. But anyways, weed's going to go legal cross country. Uh, in your opinion, is there anything that you think is a smart weed play at this point to profit off of You know, when that market goes legal? I, I, I'm going to be really depressing right now and just tell you that that because we are in a bubble, an investment bubble, in you think my opinion, even that's also overpriced. You got to wait. Yeah. So you're, you're saying wait on that one also. It, when you're in a late stage bubble, everything is overinflated in value. Everything. Okay. So if I'm right that we're in a late stage bubble, then there's nothing that that is is a sound investment per se. Now that's not to say that you couldn't get lucky and buy you know the next Amazon of weed. Like sure, if you get lucky and you find that, then there's value right now for damn sure. Um, but you know, well it's anybody's wait. guess who's going right, to do that. Then, and you might as well wait. Exactly. Last last growth sector that I'm eyeballing is just digital health services. I think as technology gets better, I think uh, there's going to be more remote monitoring and more like just seeing your doctor remotely. Um, but I, I'm assuming it's going to be the same analysis of probably exists, but you might as well wait and see if how belly up things go. Yeah, I, I mean – that's the problem is that, you know, everyone's trying to chase yield. And because you can't, you can't buy, you can't put your money in a bank and make anything. You can't buy bonds and make anything. 
Like everyone is forced to go out and chase yield. And where do you find yield? Cryptocurrency, stock market. Those are the most overinflated. So all across the board, that's why I believe cash is the play. And I know it right, seems last, counterintuitive, but that's my belief. Last cash question. If I've got my cash at parked at Chase Bank, if this thing goes belly up, am I having a hard time getting that? Like, do you think you got to have your cash tucked under the mattress? Or what do you recommend? If people want to start stacking some cash, thinking they're going to see some investment opportunities, where are you recommending people hold on to that cash? Well, for the record, none of this has been a recommendation because this is not financial <laughs> advice. But uh, if if it were me, you know, getting a safe and and holding a decent chunk of cash in case it uh, it's a real you know shit hits the fan scenario makes sense because if if I'm right and this debt bubble actually busts, you're gonna you're gonna see you know real death and destruction when it comes to the banking sector and. In that environment, yeah, there's a real chance that the ATMs stop working. You know, like that—that's not impossible. Um, even even when we had the first month of lockdown, they put limits. I don't know about where you're at, but in San Diego, they put limits on the tellers and how much cash you could take from them. So they were already cash starved, and that was you know just the preliminary lockdown. Yeah, I gotta I gotta have more cash on hand. I'm yeah. the problem is I'm an I'm an idiot, and I'm like if I have cash on hand, I'll lose it or I'll have a cocaine and craps night. So like, I like to not have it, but I got to start keeping a little more cash on hand. Um, all right. Why don't you tell everyone uh, where they can find you? I mean, I know you're Liberty Lockdown on Twitter and uh, you also got the podcast Liberty Lockdown, but anything else you want to plug? Uh, well, yeah, actually I am at Liberty Lock Pod on Twitter because some bastard stole my handle. And then I am Liberty Lockdown on YouTube. As I said, uh, Dave Smith, your your buddy was on my show today and that, that just came out an hour ago. So uh, go check it out. Hell yeah. All right, dude. Thank you so much. This was a ton of fun. Hell yeah. Thank you, brother. All right. Peace, dude. Later. Thank you for all of that unbelievable uh, financial insight. And uh, before I have on my guest, last guest, let's uh, promote our last sponsor here, Yo Kratom, home of the $60 kilo. Uh, like I've said before, if uh, you're concerned about where these financial markets might go, you're not sure where to invest your money, at least stock up on, uh, on Kratom. Even if you're not a fan, there's going to be people out there wandering the streets just looking for Kratom, and then you can turn them into your slaves. That's going to be the next economy where currency isn't worth anything, but people that were smart enough to stock up on stockpiles of $60 of uh, your Kratom kilos um, will be able to have slaves. That's going to be the next financial world order. And while most people are, you know, trying to get gold, Bitcoin, or anything else that might be able to appreciate in value when everything goes to shit, the real money, it's going to be in Kratom. So get in early. Get in while kilos are still $60 and they can ship them right to your door. And uh, let me tell you, you know, if you're not a fan of Kratom, maybe ignore this next part, but the occasional Kratom is kind of nice. It's a nice little thing in the evening, and you can get a whole kilo of this stuff for just 60 bucks. So thank you to Yo Kratom, home of the $6 kilo. Now let's get into it with my next guest. What's going on, Mr. Ovaltine? Hey, how you doing, man? Oh, man, you totally uh, catfished me with your profile picture. Uh, I get that. I know everybody kind of talks to me like I'm black on there, and I feel kind of like an asshole. Like man. <laughs> I thought I was all cool. I was like, man, I got this... Uh, Black Ovaltine Jenkins, fan of the podcast, interacting with me on Twitter, <laughs> and uh, you basically look like me. Right? No, it's actually a, a profile picture of Dooley Hill from Sock. And oh, um, sh shows shows my uh, nobody shows what gets I it. Know. Even people who love that show don't recognize it. So there people, you go. Uh, 
people try to they try to tell me about the LP like oh don't don't join the LP they only want the, a certain kind of black man in the LP. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Not, well, not. let's not go down too far down this rabbit hole so we don't come <laughs> off as more racist than we actually are, uh, <laughs> which is obviously a joke. But I uh, no, I, there's certain names that pop up in my my feed and I'm like oh that guy's actually pretty funny like I. Uh, uh, in replies and comments and you were one of those people that caught my eye and then you hit me up saying that uh, you had written a liberty book that you're trying to get the word out there on uh, so i said hell yeah i'll have you on run your mouth tell us about the book and it also sounded crazy it was about a bunch of high orphans raiding <laughs> government buildings or something so why don't you tell us a little about uh who you are and the the book you put out all right uh cw booth watch is my name uh a long name because my parents couldn't agree on anything. Uh, they're not high orphans necessarily. They're asshole orphans. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, they're a bunch of orphans who get together trying to rescue one of their own and basically trying to take on the state more or less. <laughs> they decide to try to blow up a federal building to, to get away from the system. So it gets kind of crazy. <laughs> Got it. And you just uh, self-published? Yes. I tried for about a year to get an agent. And, uh, man, that, that's a whole different game. <laughs> it didn't I work can, out, obviously. <laughs> I can only imagine uh, it, it sounds arduous. I don't know if that's the proper usage of that word, but you're an author, so I'll throw out big words, uh, <laughs> to sit down and write a full book because everything I do is pretty short form. And then I have at least the immediacy of being able to do it on a podcast or you know, reading it with other comics if it's a script. There's something I can do to at least get the feedback where I'm like, I'm growing here. And so even if this wasn't the the jewel, I get to learn from the experience. Sitting down to write an entire book uh, to then be like, dude, I'm getting this thing. That just sounds like, it, it sounds like a fearful grind of, I don't know if people are going to get this, like if I'm going to get it out there or, so I'm curious to know what that experience actually was of, like that just sounds like a lot of discipline. I don't have discipline like that. I, I have a hard time coming up with my show notes to fill the hour that I do run your mouth and I don't have to actually sit down and, you know, write this all up. So I'm curious to know what that actual experience was of trying to put pen to paper. Uh, it's extremely daunting, man. <laughs> I started out writing scripts back in the day. I wanted to be a television writer so much easier, you know, sit down and write 30 pages. Right. Um, I actually started this novel about 10 years ago when I was in college and then I got a job right out of college and never had time to work on it until last year when I've been out of work. So finally was able to knock it out that way, but man, it's, it is a ground and I'll sit it down for a couple months, come back to it, you know, have myself convinced that I'm a terrible writer and got off. <laughs> I will read it. <laughs> and then you come back to it and I'll pick up something like, no, that was pretty funny. Maybe I should give this another try. <laughs> so I don't know. It's about just making yourself to it, man. I know what you're saying though. It's terrible. I'm, I'm the exact same way as you, man. I've, I've got a short attention span. So it's just, well, that's good. Uh, over and over. I love, uh, I mean, I said it at the beginning of quarantine and as much as I can, I try to um, stick to it. But to me, the the winners are the people who can take the, the times like this and go, well, I'm going to work on this other thing that I never had a chance to do. Uh, so, you know, God bless you that you actually were like, fuck yeah, I have some free time on my hands. I'm going to get this book written. Start to finish, how long did it actually take you to do? Uh, well, I had probably 50 pages or something that I'd written back in the day. So it probably took me four or five months to uh, knock out the rest of it and get it up to about close to 300 pages. There and you then, go. Yeah. And then uh, just rewriting it, you know, sit it down for a couple months, come back, rewrite a little bit here and there. So <laughs> you got you got your eye on the, the next one? Like, did you enjoy the process enough? You're like, I got to go, you know, work on a new one. And you're like, I did it. I wrote a book. I got it out there. And you now I can, you know, sit margaritas or whatever the fuck you're into. <laughs> 
Well, I've made about like $200 off of it, so I can't really retire to the Caribbean yet. Uh, it's actually yeah. my second book. Uh, I published one right before it, and they kind of intertwine. Uh, like, have you ever, are you familiar with Christopher Moore? Have you ever heard of him? Oh, okay. He's a writer, really funny dude. Uh, but or Kevin Smith's another good example. His old school uh, flicks, they all kind of intertwine, took place in the same town with reference each other and all that stuff, you know? So that's kind of what I'm doing here. I've got like a little, uh, about five book series planned out. <laughs> You see, I got to tell you, I, I sometimes look at creativity from a different um, a different perspective where I find to, everyone's chasing thrills in life. And I actually, because I can uh, just, I find chasing, finding that groove on a creative project where you love it and you work on it, that to me is the reward. I have a propensity to, you know, like I, I can waste a lot of time in life or I can do a lot of things that are not the most productive or healthy for you. So to me, just being able to like find a groove of creativity and enjoy it and do the work that like to me, that is the reward. And so like sometimes I actually look at it, it like it, it, it's not so much uh, the projects to me sometimes are not even defined by like the money they made or how many people even saw it or appreciated it. Like to me, the reward was I like to me that I found the, the spirit and the groove to enjoy doing the work. And I almost sometimes look at like the creative projects, even if no, like, and I know this is like asinine or maybe this is even like loser think of like trying to find a victory where there isn't, but this is just the way I think about this shit. Like my Rob's newsroom, which uh, was not widely viewed like if someone asked me about like if I wanted to do like a, you know, like a news show, like a topical, I was like I did it. I did 50 episodes of that. Like I did it. That's something I've done. Or now I, I got a podcast that's going to be coming out soon, which is like essentially a scripted movie. Like I've written a Hollywood movie. Like I've done it. Like that's not sure. It wasn't made by Hollywood or I don't know how many people are actually, but I wrote it. Like I've done that. I've You know what I mean? Like that to me, it's like a check off the fucking box. That's oh, yeah. something that I did. I don't know if you look at it that way, but you know, I, I sometimes look at it that way in my head. Well, there's something just about finishing it, man. Uh, yeah. There's two books, man. As soon as like, as soon as you set it down, you're like, Oh, it's like orgasm, man. You're like, Oh my yeah. God, I actually did this. I've been working on it for months. Amazing. And that's just the greatest feeling in the world. And that's the kind of thing that I kind of keep in mind when I'm writing, like, Oh, if I can just get to that point, you know, and, uh, and you kind of, you, I mean, especially in stand up, you get that immediate reward, you know, <laughs> I mean, and well, I'm like, I Someone may read my book one day and you know, may give me feedback, but very rarely. If someone does read it, they're like, eh, it's okay. <laughs> I mean, you get the laugh and everything, you know, I mean, as a stand-up. So. Well, what's, I, I what's, what's so fun about stand-up and that this is more just talks to the, to like speaks to the process. First is there's the immediacy of that. If I like first, like it's almost like having a final where it's like, if I know I got that show, I have to write the thing. Mm -hmm. And so that's actually like motivation to sit down and do it. Oh, yeah. But then you also get the immediate feedback, which means if uh, you've got a little bit of the OCD brain or like the working towards perfection, it means you get to tweak it because you got like, you, you get the live feedback. So you get to go, that part didn't work and you get to like constantly edit it. And I, we've all played video games where at some point it like you get sick of it. Cause like it gets easy stand up in some it never gets easy like the second you think you figure you you did like there's always a newness to it where there's always some like new discovery there's always a way that you can recraft your joke or sometimes you just fucking bomb and you're like it's it's not like the boss mode where you're like i've fought this i fought this boss four times how did i just lose it i thought i it's like no you can just fucking bomb because you stink so that's the one thing that kind of constantly keeps stand up fresh at least for me and the, for, in my experience of it, it always remains a challenge and there's always like some newness to it. Yeah. 
how uh, how long does it take you? I mean, how long do you work on something uh, a bit until you feel like you've actually got it? It you know my uh, we're, I'm I'm going to be curious to see when COVID is over because my style has changed and that I did not used to craft things at home as much. And so what I mean by that is like something would happen. I'd have the rough outline and I kind of stay it on stage and it would kind of like work or eh. it was more like I, I would, I, the life cycle of most of my better jokes is I would get up on stage with an idea, usually had like a couple of jokes in there. And if I got up every night over the course of a month, I would figure it out by the end of the month. And, but if I got up on stage three times with something and it was getting nothing, then I would just shelve it. It would like, it, it needed to be doing well enough that like I could, I guess, feel comfortable, not just going, Hey, I'm going to totally lose the crowd. And that's when you can start kind of finding the grooves. You expand on some of the things that are working at best. You find like one thing that's really getting a laugh at the end. So then, you know, you have like some space before that to like mess around with it. But I say I, for me, it was kind of, Sometimes I would find a one-liner and yeah, I'd write it, say it on stage, work doesn't work. And then kind of, you know, maybe over the course of two or three years, you keep telling that one-liner and somehow it just in, improves a little bit. But like for the most part, it's kind of the way I wrote it and it's done. Um, now I find, cause I can't get up on stage the same way. I, I did like an end of year project, which was almost nearly like pen to paper. And it was a really different like writing experience from anything I'd done before, even performance experience. Cause now I had to actually like spend a shit ton of time memorize. Like I don't really have to memorize stand up. I kind of have bullet points. I noodle around with it on stage and like, you kind of take notes on what click, you know what I mean? But it's like, yeah. you don't, I don't really have to memorize it. Like I do it every night. This I, it's like actually, and what was interesting with that is firstly, I discovered I was able to find a lot of jokes without being up on stage, but then even so each time I did it, I was able to like get that live feedback and make improvements. Um, so long story short, I'm spending a lot more time now actually sitting at my computer and really trying to figure out how I can craft, like be basically be a better writer where I can craft the stuff without just getting up in front of a audience and like noodling around with it. Cause I don't have as much time to do that. Now I'm curious to see, because I've had, times in comedy before where I thought, dude, I'm fucking funny or I'm onto something. And then you just find out you're wrong. So on the negative, I might find out that my entire style now of trying to work on jokes is I'm just wrong. And that like what I'm writing, I cannot just go pen to stage. Um, but I'm really hoping that when I can get back to doing stage, I'll keep the writing discipline and like have found some new tools. So that's kind of a long winded answer that I like, for as long as I've been doing this, I don't have like a set style, but now I'm starting to spend like more time just kind of trying to write stuff out and, you know, become a better writer. Cause I, I don't have as much opportunity to be up in front of crowds. Yeah. And that may help, man. I mean, you may find that it was a blessing that you got to spend so much time, uh, you know, just sitting down and writing without, well, I don't know about without the feedback, but, <laughs> uh, no, I'm hoping I, I do really feel like, uh, if I can keep up the discipline, I I've figured out how to, how to discover jokes standing at my computer. And the biggest thing I've changed is that I never really, I mean, this, this sounds crazy because I didn't do this with television pilots, but I, I, I never really worked with drafts so much. Like it was very, I would kind of like originally have like the, the spark with an idea and like slightly retool it as I was on stage. But now it's like, I have like, I, I have a bit that I was, I'm working on 
well, now it's done. Now I got to like get up on stage and just figure out like what works and kind of cut it down. But I, I have a bit that I worked on literally for a month about school where every single morning I'm there like confronting the exact same idea to try and find like new angles on it. I never rewrote like that ever. It was more like whatever the first flash of brilliance was, that's your discovery and I'm done with it. And now I'm finding I can really... I guess sit down in that discomfort of being like, am I out of ideas on this? And then find new ideas. Oh, rewrites, man. Once you get to that point where you can kind of step back from something and you're not married to it anymore, you know, uh, when I'm writing, I'll sit something down for like a month or two and come back to it. And I'm, it was something I'd be married to at the time. I'm like, this is great. I'm fucking a genius. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I come All right, back so, to it and so, I'm like, oh, this is stupid. <laughs> Um, I got to stop doing this. I keep bringing interesting guests on and then just talking to them. Uh, <laughs> you, tell us a little bit about um, the book. What's interesting about it versus what I do is that it's fiction. So if you're trying to spread the Liberty message, maybe it's a little bit more subversive. So why don't you actually uh, give us the pitch for, uh, for you know, what the book's all about? Okay. Uh, well, when I started writing it, it wasn't about Liberty. This was like way before I was into libertarianism or anarchism, but now it's, the whole thing is just uh, basically how the state fucks up everything. <laughs> and this one is uh, the DHS, which in Oklahoma is the Department of Human Services that oversees the orphans and stuff like that. So it's basically about how the state really just fucked over all these kids. And they're kind of looking to get uh, get some get back for that, you know. <laughs> and uh, I mean, it's hilarious. I mean, everything I try to write is, you know, I think it's hilarious anyway. So just... Uh, I don't know how to describe it any more than that. All right. And I'm not uh, reading descriptions. What's the name of the it. what's the name of the book and where can people find it? It's called Narcolepsy. It's on Amazon. Uh I did a really stupid thing that sounded cool at the time. It's because the character's name is Narco. So it says Narco, then there's a vertical bar in between it and Lepsy. And you actually have to type that in to find it. If you just type narcolepsy, it won't come up. <laughs> Great. And uh people can find you on Twitter.